I remember an important moment in my life when I was uh, a sophomore. My, my sophomore year of high school, I started swimming and diving on the, the swimming and diving team. And I had been struggling in school up to that point. But that's, that's not totally fair to say I was struggling because struggling means that you're working really hard and having a hard time actually doing well. I was not working hard. I was just doing poorly in school because I wasn't do, even really trying very hard. And my, my grades reflected that. My grades obviously go to my parents at, uh, during that time. But one of the things that was interesting is that my grades were also reported to my coach. And my coach was a guy that I had started to really like and respect. Wonderful Christian guy, had a really big influence on my life. Uh, but he called me into his office one day and he said, Kurt, what is this? said, you know, I, I know you can do more than this, and I expect you to be able to do better than this. And I, w- I was embarrassed. I was pretty ashamed. Partly, I really wanted to make him happy. I don't know why, why my parents' reaction didn't have the same way. I don't know why. But that really had an impact on me because I realized that up until that point, I'd kind of just been floating along. I would go through these waves of kind of coasting through, not really doing my homework, and then it would go from coasting to panic, right? You coast along through the semester, and then there'd be a moment of panic when there would be a test. And I was always surprised that I didn't know what was on the book report test when I hadn't read the book. I don't know why I thought it would be different. But my, my coach's disappointment mixed with the expectation that I could do better somehow was really motivating to me. Uh, he helped me see that, that I was capable of something new. And it, it didn't change everything overnight, but it did start to move the trajectory of my life. It was, it was part of a whole series of things, just even me growing in maturity, all those kinds of things. But it did push me on a trajectory of starting to do much better. Uh, it didn't get fixed overnight. There are plenty of areas in our lives where we kind of just float along. And we want to just do kind of the minimum. We don't want to get bothered by things. And we get into patterns. We get into routines. And uh, over time, those different patterns and routines don't necessarily head toward the goals that we would say that we have set for our own lives. We would say, you know, I want this or that thing. But in the end, the pattern of our lives doesn't necessarily move in that direction. I would have said at that time that I wanted to have good grades. But my pattern of my life in the evening and doing my homework did not lean toward that. Uh, we, we fall into these routines, not because it makes our life easier. Well, sometimes I guess it feels like it, but not, it doesn't make it easier in the long term. There are these pressures pushing on us, our internal motivation, all of that kind of stuff. And the thing is, is that once we get into these routines or ruts, sometimes it can be really difficult to change. Uh, if you ever stopped smoking, you know how difficult that can be. That we have patterns in our life. We have patterns in the kind of communication that we have with other people, with our kids, with our parents, with our spouse. We have patterns of communicating with them. And it, maybe it doesn't communicate really the love that we would want to communicate with them, but maybe we just keep falling into a vicious cycle that we didn't necessarily want. Uh, maybe there are patterns that you see in the way that we act, ways that, that hurt other people, maybe even ways that hurt the planet, uh, but there doesn't seem to necessarily be a way forward. Uh, and maybe even the state of your relationship with God uh, is maybe a little hot and cold sometimes, driven by our circumstances, 
Uh, we, we pray when we really need something from God. We, we really want him to come through, but we easily drift into a life maybe where uh, when life is good that we just kind of float along. And I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not judging by that. I'm just saying that's a natural reaction that we have to our world. But if we want to be people who use our words to build other people up, to be able to shape and communicate something about God, but really to, to bless other people, not tear them down. If we want to be, we, we want the pattern of our lives to be productive and to really, even at the end of our days, for us to be able to look back and say, yes, that's, that's how I wanted to use my energy. If we, if we want our relationships to be thriving, our relationships with other people and with God, we're going to need to be proactive rather than just reactive. We're going to have to be proactive and not just reactive. The way I was in high school, I was just reacting to my situation, maybe reacting to the fact that there was a TV show on and I wanted to watch that instead of being proactive and choosing the way I needed to study. And, you know, reactions are completely normal. All of us have them. Um, in fact, having a reaction to things shows that we are alive. Uh, I don't know if doctors still do this anymore, uh, but uh, when I was a kid, one of the tests that they did, you remember you'd sit on the edge of the table and they would whack you just below the knee, right? Um, one of the things that they did that, and they would give you that little boomp with a funny little rubber mallet on next to your kneecap. Doctors call that the patellar reflex, but you and I call it a knee jerk reflex. Uh, no doctor has done that to me for a long time. I don't know if you still do that. I don't know. But the idea is it's, it's a check on your central nervous system. And what the doctor is checking for is an overreaction or an underreaction to see that your central nervous system is, is not working really well. If there's too much response or too little response, that's when there's a problem. So we can have a knee-jerk reaction to any kind of situation that's around us. And we can have an under-response to that stimulus, or we can have an over-response to that as well, in a kind of an automatic way to life around us. So an overreaction uh, in, that, in that scenario, maybe when we have this knee-jerk reaction to our situation around us, oftentimes it, it reflects a lot more my sinful nature, our sinful nature that's in us, really than any kind of godliness or or if you're a uh, life of the spirit, if you'll pardon the expression, this knee-jerk reaction is a lot less knee and a lot more jerk, okay? Um, so that's what we get. <laughs> and we all know what that looks like. Uh, if we leave it to our emotions, it can oftentimes be counterproductive to the actual ends that we want to see. Uh, overreactions, we see these things all the time. Overreactions of customers, in stressful situations have made for a lot of TikTok views, right? People who want to see the manager, people who are upset about something and go on a tirade, somebody who jumps over the counter at the airline and um, trying to get at the employee. Um, those kind of knee-jerk reactions, um, it, it's, it senses, it, it touches our panic in us and we want to react. And, and we're going to get to a lot more of that next week when we talk about our words and how people that we love can trigger us with certain words, and it sends us to that point of panic. But uh, we, we, can, we can overreact in a negative way like that. But you, funny enough, we can actually have a knee-jerk reaction and overreact in a positive way, too. You know, there's things that we love that we would see in a store, for example. And if we leave it to our emotions, we're going to buy all the things when we're there. 
And maybe that's going to be counterproductive to some longer-term thing that we are aiming for, that we had wanted to do. There was something yesterday that I was thinking that we were going to buy, and one of, our kids, uh, one of my kids said to me in the car, no, Dad, we're wanting to buy a house. We can't buy that. I'm like, all right, all right. He saw the long-term thing. I love that. Dad, keep it focused here. Don't, let's not be counterproductive to our long-term goal. They saw the long-term goal better than I did. So we are emotional beings. Emotions are not bad. Okay, our emotions are not bad. We're not trying to say that in the least. But um, when we react in ways that don't reflect who we want to become, then we need to begin to say, hey, maybe that is too much or too little of that thing. Uh, it's, it's running counterproductive to the goals we really want. Uh, w- but when the doctor hits your knee, one of the things is if there's no reaction, they don't want to see that either. That's an underreaction. Uh, that means that your nervous system isn't working too well either. An underreaction in our life uh, might be uh, sometimes we have that passive response where we do nothing. Uh, next, uh, next week we're going to talk a bit more about the fight and flight and freeze kind of stuff. Uh, but when we encounter something new, sometimes our, our knee-jerk reaction is to freeze. And maybe you've experienced that when somebody says to you something that's shockingly rude and unexpected and you are just stuck there with your mouth open, oftentimes you think of the good thing to say about 10 minutes later, right? But you, you can't say anything. You're just frozen in panic. You don't react. Uh, another common underreaction is that sometimes we don't do anything even when it's really important. We get news from the doctor or from the dentist that say, this is going to change your life very positively if you do this thing. This is going to add 10 years to your life. And somehow we're able to walk out the door and forget that they said anything. It's a bit like Kurt not doing any of his homework. Uh, it's, it's easy for us to, to have that kind of underreaction to something that's really important. Say, this is an important thing. We should react appropriately to the size of the news that we're getting. And here's the thing. You and I, we have heard the good news about Jesus Christ, what God has done in our life, that he came back from the grave, that Jesus is alive now. That's what we celebrated at Easter. And that news, we can't have an underreaction to that. We need to be people who respond appropriately to that amazing news. We want to have this new life of the Spirit that God is calling us into. So rather than allowing life to continue as it always had in the past, we, if, if you are a new believer, if you're a renewed believer, you're going to want to try to partner with God to step into that life of the Spirit that God is calling us to. He's directing us to worship the Lord, to have these holy lives that, that look like our Savior. We want to be in fellowship with other believers. So instead Of just going along with however life takes us, we're going to need to make a plan. We're going to need to be proactive instead of reactive or passive in our faith life as well. So that we can have that life of faith-driven character that we want. So over the next month, we're going to be looking at five different ways that we can be proactive. That's one of the things we're going to do in this series. We're going to look at uh, how intentionality is going to play a key role in our success in this area. We're going to seek to be intentional about our words and our actions and our relationships and doing it all with a view of wanting to honor God, serving God. And it's not an exhaustive list, but it's a good start. We're going to start with that. So today we're going to begin by thinking about being proactive to be intentional 
specifically about our spirituality. It's a big topic, but we're going to try to get at that as best we can. How can we be people who don't just react and get carried along with the current, but people who are proactive and intention, have this intentionality with regard to our faith? And there, there's a passage in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans that gives us a really good picture of the goal that we're headed towards. So if you have a Bible, a Bible app, why don't you open it to the book of Romans in chapter 12. In this series, we're going to kind of bounce around a little bit. Um, the last one we looked at... Um, questions that Jesus asked, and we were all in the Gospels, but in this one we're going to bounce around a little bit in different passages. This passage is going to point toward this, this goal that we have of this anchored, stable life with other people and uh, moving toward this relationship with God. And we're going to be more proactive instead of reactive spiritually. So this is uh, Romans 12, beginning in verse 9. It says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Finding, you know, sifting through what, all that stuff so you can get the good things. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Let's, let's pray to ask God to help us understand this. Lord, we, we, we do come to you, Father. We ask you to enlighten our hearts by the work of your spirit today so that we may see Christ for who he is. May you, the triune God, be the, the one that we're really aiming for in our lives. May we have more of you. That's what we want, to be anchored in you. And we, help, we ask you to help us understand this today, and apply it to our lives all this week, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, Paul is, there's a lot to say about this passage. We can't talk about everything. I, I had so much stuff that I wanted to talk about. Focus, Kurt. So um, there's this rapid-fire list of commands by the Apostle Paul, and we see that there's a mix of commands between things that are kind of actions directed toward God and things that seem to be directed toward people. And it's funny because they're kind of mixed together. So I think part of what we're taking away from that is that a, an appropriate spirituality is directed toward God and our neighbor. Jesus would back us up on that. Love God and love your neighbor, right? Uh, so there's a bunch of things in there. Be devoted to one another in love and practice hospitality. Those are directed toward people. Uh, but then he also says, hey, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Uh, it's directed toward God. In my small group this last week, we talked about different parts of the commands of these that we felt were more difficult for us. Like, hey, this thing, boy, that would be hard for me to do this thing. Uh, but uh, different things stand out to different people. Uh, we start off with verse 9. It says, love must be sincere. It's interesting, in the original Greek here, there's no, there's no verb in that sentence. It actually, the literal translation is it is the love sincere. It's almost like a title for this whole section. If you want to see what sincere love looks like, this is it right here. If you want to love God and people, this is how you're supposed to do it. It's like the title. Love must be sincere. So the, the theme of this whole passage is basically real love. This is what real love and what it looks like. And, and one of the connecting themes of this real love is that it's at its essence, we can see from all this list, is that it's not basically a feeling. 
but it is a decision. It's an action that people have chosen toward God or people. There's intentionality there. And, and you and I, we know this really intuitively. That's not strange to us. Any relationship that you have had for a longer term, if, if you're an adult, you're out of school, you know that in school, you're able to spend a lot of time with people. You naturally are kind of stuck with people for good or for bad. You're stuck with your friends. You're stuck with your enemies. Uh, but as an adult later on, you know, if you have real friendships that have lasted a while, you know that there had to be some intentionality there. Because the natural, the natural direction of relationships is to drift apart. And, and we've all had that experience, I think, of friendships that have drifted apart. So we need to have this intentionality that, that any kind of real friendship or relationship that we've had has had um, some intentionality of it, even literally um, basically setting things in our, our agenda where we say, I'm going to call this person on this day. And that is true about people, and that is true about even our relationship with God as well because the natural flow is to drift apart. So we have to be proactive and initiate. So uh, this reactive spirituality that we might have, uh, it, it can be either maybe we float along and we, we go with the flow, maybe for good or for bad, or maybe we also have bursts of hot or cold. Those are, uh, those are natural ways that things go. So how can we decide to go in an intentional direction? I want to say the first thing that we can do is that we need to decide that we're going to grow. Let, let's decide that we're going to grow spiritually. He says in verse 11, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. It's interesting uh, that the idea of the fervor or the, the, the zeal that's there. Zeal just means that you, you have a passion for something. Uh, it's, it's translated in a... Uh, one of the words in there communicates something about having a fire in us. So, hey, keep that passion, keep that fire going for God in the Spirit. Uh, it's, it's why, actually, the Common English Bible has a really great translation of this. He says, don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Be on fire in the Spirit as you serve the Lord. I love that. Don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Sometimes we maybe want to moderate our response. So, but one of the things is, is that there is this enthusiasm. He's saying, don't, don't get caught without some fire in you. Let's not get found out to, ha to have our fire going out, that basic fire that we have. And that, that might sound at first kind of like you're supposed to be uh, maybe manufacturing some kind of an emotion. I don't think that that's what's going on. You can't manufacture feelings for people or for God. Uh, but, but what we do know is that you can create circumstances that facilitate closeness both in our relationship with people and with God. So we can't force our feelings, but we can create situations. We can have circumstances that will facilitate that kind of relationship, and maybe even the feelings will follow. And, and, and Paul, he's saying, hey, don't lack this thing. And so if he's telling us, don't lack enthusiasm or fire in your service for God, it means that it is something that the average person actually can do. It's something that we actually can pull off, that we need to be proactive in our relationship with God. Uh, some of that is maintaining that fire. You know, if you have ever maintained a fire around the campfire, you know you got to keep an eye on it, maybe add some extra wood from time to time, stir things around to keep that fire going. Shouldn't burn, uh, can't burn up, uh, but you need to keep it going. So we have to be proactive in this relationship with God, like keeping that fire going, not faking it, but being proactive to see that it's really sincere, this sincere love with God. 
Uh, so there are purposeful circumstances we can take to facilitate a real relationship with God and, and with God's people. Uh, I, I said last week, one of the things that's really good is for us to know other people and be known by them. To actually be, to actually be close enough in the church where people can know you that, and you can be known. That they're going to know when things aren't really working very well. That you can let them know when, when things aren't right in your world. That's going to be important for us. And we need to find a church, a place where we can worship Christ in the scriptures, where we're driven to the scriptures, where we have to look at the scriptures. I suppose part of the question of this fire is, is it dependent on other people? Is it dependent on God? Is it dependent on us and our actions on other people? Um, if you're a young person, there, there, has to come, become, there has to come a time in your life where you decide whether that faith that you have is actually yours or if it's just handed down to you. I think all of us have had to go through that experience. Uh, I think it's appropriate that we are kind of guided into things by our parents or by other spiritual mentors with us. Uh, If you're older, you also have had to make that transition as well. Am I a Christian just because of my history? Am I a Christian? Do I come here just because of my spouse or my friends? I think that's kind of a positive form of deconstruction, actually, that we would say, hey, where, what's the basis of my faith? Is this based on something that's real, or is it something else? But maybe your faith is definitely your own. You might be a faithful believer. You have been around for a long time. You've never wandered from the faith. But maybe others, and, and maybe you yourself, would not say that you are definitely enthusiastic about faith. There's not necessarily a fire. Maybe there's something more from you. I I hope together that we will be somewhat dissatisfied with not just slipping away. That we'll say, hey, that's not not actually enough. I I don't want to just not leave God, but I want to have this, this good and holy dissatisfaction with not having that desire and burning fire in us that would push us to something more. But you're not going to We have to know we're not going to get something more by just doing the same thing. I was never going to get better grades by doing the same exact thing that I did before. I needed to change my trajectory. So maybe there's some new spiritual discipline that God would be calling you to. Uh, Maybe being connected to a small group. Uh, There's some uh, life of prayer or service. Uh, If you're youth, to be involved in youth group. There are places where we can meet with other people and and grow. It's interesting. Uh, that spiritual pa- uh, passion, though, it does have limits. It's interesting. He says, he says, the spiritual passion has some bounds. It says it's, it's bound by serving the Lord. He says, he says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So it, it needs, there's, uh, there actually are kind of some outside boundaries on that thing. It needs to be serving the Lord. It, it can't just be trying to manufacture something, trying to make ourselves feel okay by doing more and more and more. It needs to be actually what God would choose for us. If he were asking us to do something, it needs to, God's not going to overwork you. There are some bounds there. So there's that spiritual passion is bound by serving the Lord. All right, so if we have that fire, if we have that fire, the thing that we need to do is to sustain it. We need to sustain it. So what does it look like sustaining our spiritual fire? Uh, uh, that, That spiritual fire is going to be a faith that's primarily about God's glory. That's going to have some sustaining power. And it's going to be a faith that is all about what Christ has done for us. 
So it's primarily about God's glory. Uh, the, the arc of the narrative of the world bends back on ourselves. That we, we are basically, we do, we, we're kind of selfish. It bends toward ourself. And, and so spirituality, our faith, needs to give us some guardrails to kind of keep us on the highway of going the direction toward God. It's, it's seeking after God himself. If we, if we let ourselves get carried along with the, with the current of the world, it's actually going to go back downstream. It's always going to curve back in on ourselves. And, and there's, a, there's a kind of selfish sort of spirituality that is uh, shared by lots of us. It, it can be uh, we want to be made comfortable instead of being holy. The, and that can be in lots of different ways. That can be, I, I'm not just saying that it, 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 needs, it needs to be that we, we want to reaffirm God's values for us, and sometimes that's going to make us uncomfortable. We, we, we can't be a church that's just a club of people who have the same opinions as ourselves. We are supposed to be people who are together gathering different people who only have really the same connection as that we are all wanting to serve the Lord together. That means that we can't be a place where we all have the same opinion. We're all really connected by the same Lord. Verse 12 says this, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. That sounds like a faith to me that's rather uncomfortable. Uh, it's, it's seeking to be holy even at difficult times or in difficult times. When those times come, this, this narrative uh, of, of wanting to be comfortable is broken. Maybe you've experienced that. You have a, a moment of difficulty or of struggle, and you say, wait, wait I, I, thought that, I thought that God loved me. Why, why is it like this? I, I, this isn't what I wanted. And we're going to try to retreat to something that where it, it, we, it's easy for us to want to retreat to something where, where we're just cared for and coddled. It's not very comfortable to be holy in difficult times. And when those times come, we're going to think that we're doing something wrong, that that must be. Because if we think that the goal of faith is for us to be comfortable, then if we are uncomfortable, then we think that we're doing something wrong or that somebody else did something wrong. Maybe our faith in God was misguided. Maybe that's not where God was taking us. But if we're going to have a proactive spirituality, a proactive faith, it's going to have to purposely swim upstream against that current that would make it about comfort or about ourselves. Because we know as believers that we live in a world that's broken. So we know that even godly people at times are going to face difficulty and heartbreak and pain. So it's not about our comfort, but it's ultimately about God's glory. And we're going to have to choose to remember that. And that's exactly what he's saying. We are joyful in hope because our joy is based in God. We're patient in affliction. We're thinking about God's glory and not specifically just about what we're going through. And we're faithful in prayer because we want to see God's glory even when things are not working well for us. So it's all about God's glory. And it's also this faith that we have that's going to carry us through, if it's going to last a long time, we're going to have to be proactive and having this faith that rests on Christ's work for us. 
So whatever actions that we're taking to reflect verse 11, verse 11 says keeping our fire going, right? We want this fire of faith to keep going. If we're going to do that, 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 the actions that we take to make that happen are never supposed to look at the end of the day like we were people who saved ourselves. It needs, because you know what? Here's the thing. We are not the hero of our own story. God is the hero of the story. Other people aren't the hero of our story. It is God himself. And it's super important, not only because it's theologically correct, right? This is theologically correct. We say that God did this thing. I think that's important. We need to say that Christ is the one who saves us. But I think that that truth that it's God who does this is going to spare us a lot of pain. If we believe that it's God who does this, it's going to keep us from burning out, and it's going to keep us from heartbreak. There, those things can kind of be inevitable if we're only putting our faith in people, in ourselves, or in others. If my faith is in myself, then if I'm the one who has to provide all of the effort, and God is the one who rewards me for being good, then what happens if I don't have enough faith? What happens if I don't have a lot of energy? What happens if, if I fail or if I, if, I, if I fall away from God? Whose fault is that? What happens if there's not enough emotion that's there? So if our faith is based only on what we do for God, then if we fail, it's not going to look good. In fact, you know, the other thing that we would do is that we would just try to do as much as we can for God. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go all out, and that can lead to burnout as well. We can flame out by, by doing so much work that we're going to run the risk of spiritual burnout. But real spiritual maturity and real spiritual effectiveness are always going to flow from our connection to Christ himself. Jesus tells a parable about the, he is the vine. We are the branches. We need to be connected to that vine. Otherwise, we run the risk of drying out. So the answer to all this is a genuine relationship with Christ. We're not, we're, you're not just called to serve God. That's part of it. But you are first and foremost, you are a child of God. So our faith rests on Christ's work for us. I can't put my faith just in myself. And, I, and it can't be connected just to my faith in other people too. Because if our faith is based on how cool our church is or your pastor, boy, that's a problem here. Um, so um, let's not make it about that. But if we, if we make our faith about other people around us, then when people fail us or when churches don't measure up, somebody can let us down, then maybe it's going to make our faith crumble. Because at times when it counts, people are going to let you down. And the question is, does that mean that our faith was for nothing? Or was our faith actually resting on the work that Christ did for us and not what other people are doing for us? If we look at the indicators of faithfulness in verse 12, though, we see that if somebody has this fire, then they're going to be people who do certain things. They're going to be joyful in hope. They're going to be patient in affliction. They're going to be faithful in prayer. Because we have hope that this world is not the only world that our Lord is coming back for us so we can be hopeful. But we can be patient even in difficulty, in affliction. Maybe it's interesting for you to think for a minute, what is your affliction right now that God is calling for you to be patient in? Not in an idea of not doing anything, but, but waiting for the resolution of that thing even as you work for it. 
We, we know that one day God is going to renew the cosmos. There won't be any more fights. There won't be any more problems with our bodies. There won't be anything that is in the way. But we can be patient in our affliction because we know that he is renewing the world. We can be faithful in prayer. Not because if you, we think we're gonna, if we stop that God's going kind of, to stop, but because we know that God is the one true thing. And we can't let go of him in that. So we have to be proactive in our spirituality. Keep that fire going. But really that fire is based not on our actions, but on looking more closely on who Christ is. Whatever strength and energy we have, it's by, it's, we're using it to cling to Jesus who has saved us. Because I'll tell you, whatever people might think, there's kind of an assumption that if you have difficulties, it's going to somehow draw you closer to God. It doesn't automatically do that. We need to proactively prepare our hearts for difficulties that might be ahead. Choose today to put our faith in Jesus Christ, the one true one. The old joke is that people are like tea bags, that what's in them comes out in hot water. Right? You've heard that? Um, and if our faith is based on our own efforts and you let yourself down, then when your faith crumbles, you're going to have to try to do a lot of things to try to earn your way back to God. And if your faith is based on other people in a time of crisis, if they make a misstep, you're going to be angry with God. Those are natural things to think. But if your faith is based on the self-giving love of Christ who gave himself on the cross for ourselves, for our sin. He gave himself for us. We're going to be able to fight to keep our eyes on that Jesus. In times of difficulty, you're going to be able to have hope. In moments of affliction, you can have some patience. And in the ups and downs of life, you're going to be able to be faithful in prayer. And I think that those are good ways for us to be proactive. Try to keep that fire going, not by our own work, but by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to help us to be the kind of people who are like this, who, who keep this fire of faith alive, not by just doing more for you, but by keeping our sights on you, that you were the one who sought us out when we were lost. When we were rebels, you came and preached peace to us. And so you, now you are calling us to a life of obedience and holiness. You're calling us to a life of worship and praise. And we can do that not because we're manufacturing something, but because we really understand how, how deep our problem was and how great the gift is that you've given us, that we get to live life in you. I just think that would revolutionize. God, revolutionize our church that so we would be a place where everybody really can recognize in some deep way how much you've done for us. And that will be an anchor for our souls in difficult times and, and allow us to burst with joy in times that are good. So we, we pray that that will be the case. Help us to be people who are proactive in our spirituality and lots of other areas of our life so we may reflect you and bring you glory. In Christ's name, amen. amen.